welcome you today to the grand opening of our new North San Jose campus for South Bay Church. We are so glad you are here for this one o'clock service, the last crowd you get my very best. And the thing that I love about the one o'clock service, there's no service afterwards, so I can go as long as I want to go. So this is a day that's a culmination of a dream and a vision that God has placed in our hearts as a church to expand His love to as many people as possible. And I want to say a special thanks to all of our volunteers, our summer interns, and our staff that worked hard to get this building ready. And we had a soft launch into the building in May of this year, and then now this is our grand opening. And this is a big day for us because we're kicking off a new message series called God at the Movies. And we're going to have some fun over the next few weeks at South Bay as we look at three of the biggest blockbusters of the summer. This week, we're going to talk about the movie Prometheus. Next week, we're going to talk about a movie called People Like Us. And then the third week, none other than The Dark Knight Rises Again with Batman. So that's going to be fun. And I want to frame our series so that you understand why we're doing this. See, every story has an author. Every movie, every book, nonfiction and fictional has an author, and every author behind the story has a motive or a reason why they wrote that book. And, and what we see in movies and what we see in stories that are created by humans, that there are elements of truth in all of these stories and all these movies we're going to look at. But that truth is mixed with error. So you have to kind of sift through it to find the story behind the story. But there's another story that was authored by God. In fact, we believe that that story is written about here in the Bible and the scriptures. And we believe at South Bay Church that that story is a story of truth without the mixture of error. So we're going to take these movies, these pop culture movies, and compare them with the real story and pull out the timeless truths for our lives. And today we're going to talk about the movie Prometheus dealing with the question of our purpose and why we're here on planet Earth. And don't you love that scene that we watched right before the message started where there's a robot interacting with a human being and the robot who doesn't have the capacity to relate to love and to how to have intimacy asks the question of the human being, how far would you go to understand your purpose? How far would you go to understand why you're here on planet Earth, which is a great question for all of us to ask Today, how far are you willing to go to know the reason behind why you were made? And have you noticed that this is a question that humanity has asked for the ages? I mean, if you track back to the beginning of time, there's poets and authors and writers that dealt with the question of human existence. In fact, in the Bible, there's a verse that says this. It says, God has placed eternity in the hearts of humanity. That there's this longing inside of all of us and that still quiet moment of life that longs to know the truth of our existence and why we're placed here on planet earth. And here's why this is so important for us today. Because so many of us in our longing to understand our purpose and why we're here, we look for it in all the wrong places. We've tried to fill that hole in our hearts with success in our jobs in a bigger house or a nicer car or better vacations. We've looked for our meaning in relationships and even things that are good and created by God, such as marriage or parenting. We make those good things God things, or maybe it's sex or, or a drug that we've used, that we try to fill that hole and there is bondage that has been created in the lives of so many of us as a result of our pursuit of purpose in all the wrong 
places. It's kind of like this pull-up bar here. Most of you probably know this is a pull-up bar, and I'll flip it this way so you can see the way it actually hangs on the door. If I were to go to the creator of this pull-up bar, and I were to say to him or her, why did you make that pull-up bar? What would he or she say? They'd say, well, we made that pull-up bar to do pull-ups so that you can look like what God originally intended you to look like, and your arms can get ripped. Well, my wife, Stacy, I'm going to go ahead and confess, uses this pull-up bar more than I do. It's because my arms already look good. I'm just kidding. And uh, this week, I went into our office where this pull-up bar hangs, and she was getting ready for the workout in the morning, and she placed a chair on the ground. A little secret, she uses a chair to do pull-ups. And so I go into the office, I jump over the chair the first time, and then the second time, I'm like, Tarzan, baby. I could do Tarzan on that pull-up bar. So I jump up on the pull-up bar. It's kind of like this. I kind of swing through the air, put my legs up in the air, and I'm flying through, beating my chest. And I get on the pull-up bar and put my weight on it, and guess what happens? Boom! Breaks the threshold of the door. I'm falling down, bruised. And Here's the point I want to make with all that. All created things find their purpose in their creator. Like the shoes that you put on today when you came here, you'd go to the creator and you'd say, why'd you make those shoes? Maybe he or she'd say, so you could run faster or so you could look good when you go out into public. But there was a purpose behind that creation. You'd go to the creator, you'd say, why? And they'd tell you why that thing was made. But the flip side or the add to this truth is, is that not only do all things created find their purpose in their creator, but abuse of purpose always creates pain. Say one more time. Abuse of purpose always creates pain, sometimes greater than others. It reminds me of when I was growing up, my grandparents owned this condo in Kentucky. I grew up in Michigan. We'd go there over the holidays or sometimes during the summers. We'd go and we'd hang out. And my grandparents had this golf cart. What's the purpose of a golf cart? It's so old people can get around the golf course, right? And so we got the golf cart out, my siblings and I, one day, and we realized that there's a new purpose for a golf cart. Like, there was this really big hill, and we saw it, and we're like, dang, we could go down that thing and probably go a lot faster than we can on flat ground. So my brothers and I were, like, going down, and we're getting faster and faster and laughing our tails off. I mean, it's like the moment of our lives until we're going down one time and we hit a hole on the way down and the golf cart kind of tumbles and the glass shatters. And there was pain because of the abuse of the purpose of the golf cart. The same is true in life, that all things find their purpose in their creator. And when there is abuse of purpose, there's pain. And maybe today, some of the pain that you're experiencing or some of the pain that I've experienced in my life, that that pain, maybe just maybe, is as a result of us looking for our purpose in all the wrong places. And what the people in Prometheus discover, the explorers who go looking back to the origins of the world for their purpose, what they discover is actually very disturbing for them. But when we go back to the story of the author of the universe to discover our purpose, what we find gives hope joy, life, and peace. So we're going to do that in the book of Acts in the New Testament of the Bible. If you have a Bible, you can turn there to Acts chapter 17, and we're looking at an interaction between a guy named the Apostle Paul and a group of people called the Athenians. 
wrestling through the question, why are we here? What's our reason for existence? The Apostle Paul got radically changed with the message of Christ. In fact, he was the kind of guy that would persecute Christ's followers. One time he's on his way to persecute a bunch of them, and Jesus shows up after resurrecting from the dead. He's convinced after seeing this bright light that Jesus is alive. He was God in human form. The guy gets so convinced that he's just like, I'm going to go from being a killer of followers of Christ to being one of the biggest proponents of this message in history. And so he's traveling from town to town. He'd go into one town to tell people about the love of God and their need for relationship with him, the fact that Jesus died on a cross and the only hope they had was through that cross and Jesus' resurrection and people get angry with him. They'd beat him. He'd lay on the ground until he was ready to get back up and healed and he'd get back up and he'd go into the next town and do the exact same thing. Talk about a bold dude. And in Acts chapter 17, he goes into a town called Athens. Of all the towns in the book of Acts, Athens was most like the San Francisco Bay Area. In fact, this was a city that was very intellectual. The people who were in Athens were the kind of folks that you would probably find on Stanford or Berkeley's campus. They spent their time sitting around philosophizing, if that can be a word, trying to figure out why they were here. I guess that's probably more like Berkeley, isn't it? Stanford's like, how can we make more stuff and more money? And Berkeley's kind of like philosophizing. And now I'm going to have grads from both schools come and tell me I'm wrong afterwards. But you get it. My heart's pure. And, <laughs> but here are these guys. All they do all day is they just sit around and debate around all the newest and brightest ideas. And they're a part of Greek mythology. So they've created all of these idols of worship. And they wanted to have all their bases covered. Like, we got to have it all. We got to have a sun god, a moon god, a star god, an apple god. We got to make sure to have a PC god. We, like, we, we've got to cover all of our bases so that we don't miss out. And so they created even a god called Prometheus that they believed was the creator of humanity. And so in this passage, Paul's going to dialogue with the Athenians about their idolatry and their creation of all these objects of worship. And he's going to point out to them so clearly why they were created and why you and I are created. See, the beauty we believe about Scripture, about the Word of God, is that it's not a historical document. It's like this living and breathing document that is the Word of God for us today. And it can change us. And so what we find in the story about our purpose is so beautiful that it changes everything about the trajectory of our lives if we embrace it. Verse 22, he says this, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, or however you say that word. I've gotten it wrong four times, and people have told me, and I still can't get it. I passed English class one time. And said this. Actually, that's a Greek word, right? So it's not an English word, so I'm off the hook on that one. A city that starts with A, or, the, or a group of people that starts with A. That's where the apostle... Say it one more time. That's right, you got it. So they're there. And it says, men of Athens, I see that in every way you're religious. Like, he doesn't go in and condemn them for their pursuit of truth. He actually commends them that they are pursuing and trying to understand why they exist. And I think that the same would be said for us today, that God would commend your desire to know your purpose. In fact, for some of you that you're staying up late at night and you're losing sleep over this thing, 
maybe that desire to know your purpose was placed there by God. That he wants you to reach out for him and to know that you're here with a very specific purpose and intent. And so here Paul is with this group of people in his meetings. And the scripture says that he steps up. He says, I see you're religious. And as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found, found an altar with this inscription on it. To an unknown God. Do you see what they're doing? They want to make sure all of their bases are covered. I want to make sure that there is no God that I've missed out on. I want to worship them all. Sun God, moon God, star God, sky God, bird God, beast God. It's all there. And just in case we missed one of the gods, we're going to put this, this little statue out. We're going to put one more object of worship to the unknown God. So that all of our bases are covered. And then watch, watch what he says next. He says, now... What you worship is something unknown. I'm about to proclaim it to you. I'm about to lay it down. I'm about to show you what that truth is, what your purpose is, what your reason for existence is, that truth that you've been looking for. I'm about to say it to you. I'm about to show it to you. God's about to reveal it to you. Same thing here in the 21st century. Some of you, some of us, we've been looking for our purpose. We've been searching in all the wrong places. And God is wanting to say to you, I'm about to lay it down so that you can know why you're here in the 21st century in the Silicon Valley. And I want you to listen in. I want you to hear his description of God. In verse number 24, he says this. The God, let's just stop there. Do you notice that he doesn't say the God's? Like the God, the God, the one who's above all created. Listen, the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. I mean, just think about this with me for a second. You walk outside, you look up at the stars and there are planets and there are galaxies beyond galaxies, beyond galaxies so far that our minds can't even comprehend how far it goes out. And the scripture says that this God, the God, is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Like there's no limit to his capacity. He's beyond human reasoning, beyond our ability to understand and comprehend the significance of his power. The Lord who made the heavens and earth and everything in them, everything that you and I could lay our eyes on. It's not like there's a sun god and a moon god and a cow god and a chicken god and a dog god and a cat god. There's a cat demon. But it's not like there's all of these gods. Like it's one god who created the whole deal, who stands outside of time. In fact, he says this. He doesn't live in temples built by human hands. You can't contain him. You can't put them in a box and say, these are my five little points about who you are, God. Go in this little box and I got you figured out. He's a God that's beyond time. He's beyond creation. He's beyond us trying to contain him and put him inside of a box. His presence is all-consuming. It's everywhere. You could go up to the highest heavens, to the greatest peak in the universe, to the depths, the valleys, the lowest play of the sea place in the sea and his presence is there he does not live he is not contained in buildings created by human hands and then watch what he says he says this he is not served 
by human hands as if he needed anything. I mean, think about this for a second. You and I, we need some outside intervention. I'm not sure if you ever experienced this. Like, there, there's like six or seven weeks of the year that are pretty nasty here in the Bay Area or the Silicon Valley, I should say, where it like rains and it's kind of cold. And I'll wake up and I'll look at and I'm like looking for sunshine and my mood, like I go outside and I'm like, oh, another day of rain. And it's like four weeks of the year and I'm so depressed. And I'm like, where is the freaking sunshine? I'm so like needy of somebody else to make me happy, to make me joyful. And the scripture says he doesn't live in temples made by human hands and he doesn't need anything from us. Like he is for eternity existed in the past as a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he wakes up every day and he's like happy with himself. He's like, you are awesome. You created the universe. Six days, you spoke it into existence. You're glorious. You're wonderful. You're holy. You're merciful. Like he's got this thing going on, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're like happy. They're joyful. They don't need us. Like they can, they could run the whole show without us. They're not like sitting on a counselor's couch like, oh, they messed up again. He got in a fight with his husband. Uh, Like, he's he's not about to slit his wrist. Like, he's he's got the whole thing. He's in charge, and he's he's joyful in and of himself. It reminds me, uh, I was over in in Singapore a couple months ago, and I went to this Buddhist temple, and some of you guys with your religious background, come from the Buddhist temple, and I found it interesting, there were vendors outside, and it's the worship of foreign gods is not comical to me, but this part of it was comical. They, they would sell fruit outside at these little vendor stations, people would buy the fruit and incense, and they would go in and they would burn the fruit, or they, not burn the fruit, they'd put the incense on the altar and burn fruit on the altar, burn the incense, and then after the people would leave, the vendors would go back in and get the fruit and come back out and sell it again. I'm like, that's a pretty profitable, bu- profitable business. You'd like keep recycling your product and sell it over and over again until you really start to think about the understanding that is being taught about God in here. Like he's, he is so needy of us. Like if he doesn't get fruit or he doesn't get sacrificed or if he doesn't get something from us, he's not going to be joyful. He's, he's going to be on the counselor's couch. He's going to be slitting his wrist. He, that's not God. That's not the, the one that the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He doesn't live in temples created by human hands. He's beyond time. He's beyond space. He's self-sustaining. He's joyful. He's for eternity into the past been filled with love, mercy, compassion, goodness, and kindness. The scripture communicates that he's a God that's holy and righteous and just. And the Bible even says in the book of Revelation that there are 10,000 times 10,000 angels surrounding his throne. Guys, 10 million angels just saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Like you are so set apart. There's no one like you. There's no one worthy of praise. You are the God of the universe. You're not some cow, chicken, dog, cat God. You are the real, legit deal. I'm preaching today. And God God is wanting to intersect our reality today to proclaim the same truth to us in the 21st century that the Apostle Paul is saying. He's not done, though. 
He's not finished with his description of God. Look at what he says next. He says, from one man. He, he, he made every living man and woman on the planet of the universe. One guy, one gal, sparkle in the eye, some things happened, a baby came. Like the whole deal got inhabited. Every continent, one man. He, he created humanity. One guy spread throughout the earth. And then he says this, so that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them. Like when you think about it for a second with me. All the way back to creation, now, until the end of humanity, every generation, every decade, every century, every hundred years, thousands upon thousands of years, he's not a clockmaker. He's not a God that sets the world into motion and steps back. He, he determined the exact time where you and I would live, the family that we would be born into, and then the scripture says, the exact times when they would live, and the places where they would live. He knows your address. He knows the color of your hair and your eyes and your specific DNA and your personality and all those things that everybody else could do away with they're not really interested in or excited about. He created that in you. He made you to live in a specific time at a specific place. Nothing's an accident. He's sovereign over the universe. He's got this grand plan that he's weaving together with a purpose, with an intent. All living things find their, their purpose and their creator. And we're about to see why all of it's happened. Why from the beginning of time, humanity's been placed where they've been placed. Why from the beginning of time, there's this longing inside of us that says something's broken in me. Something's broken in the world. It's not right. There's something more beyond this life. It's all for a purpose. And this is it. Are you ready for it? He did this so that, so that men, women, Boys, girls, rich, poor, young, old, every nation, tribe, and tongue. He created them uniquely, diversely, inhabited the whole earth. He did this so that men would reach out for him and seek him and perhaps find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Why did he do it? Why are you here? Why were you born into the family you were born into? So that you would know and love God. It's that simple. So that you would know and love your creator. So that the rhythm of your life and my life, the centerpiece of everything about us, would become this vibrant, dynamic living and breathing relationship with the one who made you and I. There is such a beauty to this. And even if you're like me, I'm going to be honest, I read the Bible and I judge people and get convicted about it most of the time. But when I'm reading some of these stories, I'm like, dude, the Athenians are stupid. They're so dumb. I mean, I know some of you guys, you come from different religious backgrounds, so I'm not trying to like bash you, but isn't there something that is so philosophically just it, like messed up 
by the fact that we would create something with our own hands and attach a name to it and then give our life, our affection, our time, our energy and worship that thing. It's so stupid. It doesn't make sense that we could give our affection and worship to something we've created. And so that idol, even if you're a Buddhist, that idol is representative of what that person is trying to discover in their meaning and their purpose. But the irony for us is that history repeats itself. And the same thing happens in the 21st century. It just looks a little bit different. It's like this kid's toy. Since I used a kid's toy last week, I'm, I'm like trying to make sure I can recycle all of my children's toys and use them as sermon illustrations. But you know, this toy, there are these little pieces, and they go in the box. And, you know, little kids, they play for a little, bo- little while, and then eventually they find the place where the object goes, and they put it in the hole in the box. And, and like I've said, abuse of purpose creates pain. There's a hole that this piece goes into. If you try to shove it, it just it doesn't. I mean, like I'm trying really hard. It's just not. It's not working because it's not created to go in that spot. And that's what happens with us. We're created with a purpose to know and to love God. But what are we doing? We're trying to shove everything we can into that hole, hoping that there would be peace and joy. And even some things that are good things that we've made God things that don't bring peace to our lives and purpose to our lives. What is it for you that you're shoving in there? Is it your job and your image of success that like I can climb the corporate ladder, get a little bit higher, I can make that amount of money that I wanted to make and and then I can get that house and that car and marry that gal or that guy that I always wanted to marry that looks good and makes me look a little bit better. And then I get there and what happens? Same hole, same emptiness. Maybe for you, it's some drug that you took, a joint you smoked, a pill you popped, a needle you put in, and you thought that that, that needle, that, that pill, that drug would satisfy that emptiness inside of you. But We take that step, we do that drug, and the high's gone, and and what's left? The same emptiness as before. Maybe it's a relationship, and you kind of drank a little bit too much one night, and then you were hoping that you could find intimacy with that person, so you went to bed with them, and the next morning, same emptiness there. So you go out, and we find one more, and still, it doesn't fill the hole that is there and can only be filled by this one thing. Maybe even for some of you, some of you who are religious, it's like my family, that's my one thing I'm going to give my heart and my affection to, and the kids' soccer games and their school and everything about them takes on greater precedence than relationship with my creator, and that good thing now has become a God thing in my life, and there's all kinds of pain, and I'm hoping that my wife or my kids or my family would fill that emptiness, but as a result of me trying to make them the God of my life, now there's all kinds of brokenness, and my wife never satisfies, and my kids never satisfy, and I'm back at the same place that I began, empty, broken, confused, 
life without hope, purpose, and meaning. Brokenness of the world is evident to all. And I think if we stop long enough, it's pretty disturbing when you think about it. It's pretty disturbing to think about all the jealousy, the bitterness, the anger, and the selfishness that exists in our world and the brokenness that pervades every single continent. And in the movie Prometheus, the creator recognizes the brokenness of the world. And in the movie, the creator of humanity is going to intersect the brokenness and the condition of wicked human beings. And we see at the climax of the movie, I won't ruin it for you because you might want to go see it, but we see at the climax of the movie as the creator on his way to destroy his creation because of what has happened in their selfishness and in their folly. But when we look at the story, the real story found in Scripture, there also was a creator whose heart was wrenched by the brokenness of what he had created. That which he had created to know and to love him, to be in vibrant, growing, loving relationship with him. And he also decided to step into humanity, into his creation. And this creator of the universe, this creator of humanity, in the story, the real story, is also just. He's also righteous. He can't stand to look on sin and the folly and the selfishness of the world. But when he steps in, instead of placing destruction on his creation, our creator places destruction upon himself. He takes all of his wrath, all of his justice, all of his anger towards our brokenness, and places it on himself. See, God came to planet Earth, lived here for 33 years. Some of you have said before, if God is real, why doesn't he just come down and like make it obvious and speak to me and tell me he did come down. And he lived here for 33 years. Never was disobedient to his mom or dad, never stole anything from the local grocery store, never cheated on a test at school, never violated God's perfect, holy standard. And at the end of those 33 perfect, sinless years, the very people that he would come to bring salvation to and life to would be so threatened by his message that they couldn't work harder or earn their way back or fix their brokenness. They'd become so jealous, so angry, that religious people would be so miffed that they would put him on a cross and a group of Romans in their idolatry and their selfishness and worship of false gods and this group of people called the Jews in their need for religion to feel like they could earn their way back to God would place him on a cross but you know, the irony of the story is not like Jesus was the victim. This was the plan from the beginning that you and I could not work hard enough. We could not put together enough religions. All world religions, Christianity included, is all about all these things I can do to get back 
to God to pave the way, to fix what was broken. But this message, this truth, is what the Apostle Paul is saying, that God puts you where you are in the place you're in for relationship with himself. And in coming to earth, we see today in the 21st century, over 2,000 years, a message that still screams to us from hands that were nailed to a cross and a tomb that is empty today because our Savior, God in human flesh, conquered the grave, showing that he's not just an ordinary dude or a miracle worker or a great teacher. He was God that came to say to you and me today in the 21st century, I've created you to know me. I've created you to love me. I don't need you. I'm not waking up in a bad mood, but I want you. I want you to make me the center and the focal point of your life, to to make everything that you are wrapped up in me. And imagine what would happen if this truth became that which we gave of ourselves to. See, the idols we form and we give our affection to create bondage in our hearts. That drug, that relationship, that job becomes our bondage. But the message of Christ, when he's the center, when God's the focal point, when relationship with him is the driving force of our lives, the shackles fall off and everything else falls into order. That job that was once holding you in bondage now can become an expression of your worship to your creator to extend his love to the people around you. That marriage that you're in can now become a good thing that was given to you by God that is to be steward, but not a God thing. That relationship with the person that you're dating, they're not the ones that are going to make you complete and whole. God's the one who made you complete and whole. And now you can pursue that relationship with a sense of security. It's when he becomes the center, when he becomes the focal point, life tends to just fall into order. And for so many of us, we are missing out on this most beautiful, wonderful relationship that every moment of every day, creator of the universe who stands outside of time, that breathed life into you, wants this relationship. Good morning, God. So thankful that you created me. On the way to work, thank you for one more sunrise. Thank you for one more day that I get to serve you and make your name known in the middle of your divorce and your trial and your checks are bouncing. God, I I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I know you're in control and I'm trusting you. This ongoing, living, breathing relationship with the creator of the universe. See, friends, it only comes through Christ, not by religion, not by our good deeds. It comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of God himself standing like this to you and to me and say, all who are thirsty, come. All who are broken, come. All who are empty, come, and I will give you life. I'll give you that which money can't buy. I'll satisfy you at the depth of who you are because you were created to know and to love me, to be in relationship with me. All things find their purpose in their creator. Abuse of purpose creates pain. And you were created to know and to love God.
Let's pray together. With every eye closed and every head bowed, there's a reason why the people who first heard this message called it good news. In fact, the Bible calls it the good news, the message of Christ, also known as the gospel. It's really good news today that even though you've messed up, even though you've blown it, even though there's lots of pieces from your life, there's a God that wants to enter into the brokenness so much that he would suffer the most horrible kind of death so that you could know and love him. Today, I wonder if you've placed him at the center of your life. I wonder if the deepest place of affection in your heart is for him or if it's for all these idols that have you shackled. Today, you can drop your shackles at the foot of the cross and you can be made free. You can find hope and forgiveness in this moment. Some of you today, you know it's a divine appointment. I don't want you to miss this moment. Maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe this is your first time in 20 plus years. Don't use the excuse that this is your first time hearing this truth to avoid it or to let it just kind of slip to the back of your mind and somehow maybe some day later you'll deal with it. Deal with it now. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the moment of a new beginning. It's the day that your relationship with God can become the rhythm and the focal point of your life, the center of everything that you are. Let it be today. Scripture says that the way this relationship begins is not through religion. It's not through trying harder. It's by grace you're saved. Salvation comes by grace through faith. And somehow... At the convergence of our faith in God, in Jesus, in God, God in human form, his death, burial, and resurrection, his ability to provide a payment for my wrongdoings and sins, somehow at that point of faith, forgiveness enters into our lives, we become a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, and new life is breathed into us. But I believe that all of us have to come to a point where we receive it. The consequences of our not receiving salvation, Scripture says, is eternity apart from Christ in a place called hell. It's eternity apart from your creator, from your maker. You think that emptiness in this world is difficult. You think about emptiness with a group of people who've never experienced relationship with him in destruction for eternity. And he's got this big waving arms and hands in the air to say, you don't have to go that way. You don't have to take that trail and that path. Today, you can come to me. All of you who are weary and thirsty, you can find rest. You can find forgiveness in me. Today can be the day of your salvation. Don't let it pass from you. This is a line in the sand God is wanting to draw for you today to say, open up your heart. Open up your mind. Give me everything that you are, and I will flood your soul with peace. I will give you joy. I will give you hope. I will give you purpose. If that's you today, you might pray a prayer that goes something like this. God, I admit that I am a sinner. Just acknowledge it to him today. And Jesus, I believe that you were crucified on a cross that you resurrected from the dead. I believe you triumphed over the grave and that you are the payment for my sins. I confess to you my need in this moment. I confess that I can't do it on my own. I want to live for you. I want to follow you. Please forgive me for my past and wipe the slate clean. And in this moment, the Bible says that if you believe in your heart 
and confess with your mouth, you are saved, not because of a prayer, but because of a condition of your heart. In just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to that. But for the rest of you who are followers of Christ and you've been planning, placing something else at the center of your life, this is the moment for you to drop the shackles, to say to God, I want me and you again. Hi, I know I've been gone for a long time, but I'm yours. Everything I know how to give you in this moment. Just tell him from the bottom of your heart. He doesn't want religion. He doesn't want you to try harder. He wants your heart. And just tell him today, God, Oh, with everything I have, with all I am, God, I surrender to you, my heart, my mind, my soul, my life. Let it be a new beginning in your relationship with God. Let this be a fresh start to receive his mercy. Let his mercy and forgiveness wash over you today. The same forgiveness that you once received at your beginning of his re your relationship with him. The scripture says he's faithful and just. If you confess your sins, he'll cleanse you. He'll set you anew. Repent so that times of refreshment can come and living streams can be breathed into your life in a new way, God. All of us around the room, no matter where we are in our journey, from the bottom of our hearts, God, we say you are worthy. You're the God that stands outside of time. You're the only one, the holy one, the mighty one, the merciful one, the compassionate one. Thank you today. Thank you that you created us to know and love you, even though you didn't need us. And with all that we have, God, with all that we can, we want to give you our lives. We praise you for you alone are worthy. Scripture says to you, Jesus, we aren't even worthy to touch the dirtiest place of your body and your feet, yet you let us come. You call us sons and daughters. You give us life. You even call us your friends and your co-laborers. And today we lift you high. We say that your name is above every name. That at your name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. We give you praise. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.